Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet there are several tiers to choose from pick which one is right for you but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated as a sign of my appreciation you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show or you could have your name included in a crawl on my youtube channel live stream you could also receive episodes of my old podcast the rock and roll twilight zone this critically acclaimed podcast produced in partnership with chris jericho is not currently available anywhere else else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome. It is indeed a strange planet, and uh, we are going uh, to venture out to the Pacific North Weird, as it is now known, with a good friend of the program, Jim Perry, podcast host, now the host of Night Drift at the uh, mighty KKNW out in Seattle, Washington, heard Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific. He's a, uh, a creative producer, entrepreneur. Again, based in the Pacific Northwest, his fascination for the anomalous events that happen in people's lives inspired the creation of Euphemet, the critically acclaimed audio documentary podcast about the strange and our relationship to it. Everyone has a weird story, and Jim is devoted to uncovering the intimate, human-centric version of these supernatural tales. Jim Perry, welcome back. How are you? I'm so good. Even better now that I'm talking to you again, Richard. I always appreciate chatting with you, and man, I just love the the, the new imaging and everything else for Strange Planet. It sounds so good, man. It just oh, gives me you. the chills. So we um, we're both on uh, KKNW. Uh, when did that show start for you, Night Drift? You know, Night Drift was really <laughs> listen. It was a project out of desperation. In, to some degree, because it happened during the pandemic. It happened during quarantine. I could no longer travel to produce Euphemet. As you know, it's a documentary podcast where I'm boots on the ground. And I'm and at that point in time, I would embed myself with individuals to help them tell their story. So it was a documentary, and I was unable to do that and completely lost in terms of what my next step was going to be. And so I said, huh, how about this new thing called radio? <laughs> 
right, right. <laughs> Usually it works the other way around, Jim. I'm not sure you, <laughs> not sure anyone told you. Normally, you know, uh, yeah, we old uh, radio uh, workhorses end up in uh, doing podcasts, and you did it the other way around. So good for you. And how are you enjoying the new medium of live radio? Oh, I love it. You know, before Euphemet even started as a documentary podcast, I was at a, a really small, low-power FM station in Seattle called Hollow Earth Radio. And it's community-focused. You know, you just kind of go in and throw your hat, you know, in, in the ring and, and hope that you get chosen to do a show. And so it, it started there, and it was an expression of, listen, all through high school, I hosted a radio show. You know, every weekend I'd be in the, it, it, you know, compiling my track lists and my local stories while others were out partying and having a good time. And so, you know, this was really kind of a welcome back home for me. I mean, even when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing my other creative ventures, when I'm falling asleep at night, I'm listening to radio. I'm listening to AM radio. I'm listening to you on Coast to Coast AM. I'm listening to old episodes of art. I'm listening to Ron Owens on KGO, you know, doing a, a daily report or, or John Rothman. So, you know, radio is, is not a foreign space to me. And, and unfortunately, I think for a lot of people, you know, listen, I'm, I'm getting closer to 40, right? But I think a lot of people in their 20s and 30s are just now starting to rediscover radio by way of different digital interfaces that are trying to, I don't know, reinvent the wheel, which, by the way, listen, like it all... It, doesn't usually work. Usually people just are reminded of how beautiful something else can be. And, right. oh, it's already been done. And so, you know, I, I have been really excited that there's been a lot of enthusiasm for someone my age entering into that space, going, like you said, being kind of a contrarian and going the other way from podcasting into broadcasting. And I couldn't be more excited that there is a, there's been a welcome reception for that, which, listen, I think it's tremendous learning experience for me as an interviewer, uh, trying to become a better broadcaster. Uh, it has made my work more intentional. It has made my copy and my writing tighter, I think, I hope. And it's also opened the doors to a lot of different ideas with my audience because I'm not bringing in people that always completely think the same way as me. I'm not bringing in people that even my audience in particular, has even heard of or maybe even agrees with. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about radio is this idea that it democratizes ideas, that people get to have a healthy discourse even at times, and even just kind of have fun and break out of your bubble a little bit. And I, I think it's been all of that and more. And I just I can't wait to continue the show on a weekly basis as I've been doing. Is it the live version of Euphemed? We should explain, first of all, uh, for those not familiar with Euphemed, tell us, and it's documentary, and it's it's highly produced, and it's just, it's tremendous. Uh, it's a tremendous presentation. Nothing like it on in the, the, the podcast arena, but explain for those who are not familiar with it, what it's, how it works, what it's about. Yeah, Euphemed is a series about the way the unknown can shape and change an individual's life. And so I am going and spending time with someone who maybe identifies as a vampire and believes that they've, you know, uh, had experiences that informed them, uh, uh, being a, uh, convincing them of being a vampire, uh, alien experiencers, uh, people that have experienced hauntings of locations. At the end of the day, revealing a much deeper human-centric story, uh, a story of change, 
uh, a story of you know sort of goals unmet or milestones accomplished. It's it's a very human podcast. I I suppose the the best proxy is if someone has listened to public radio and has heard This American Life or has listened to Serial, you know, the podcast. It, it's it's of it's of that school, right? I took a lot of uh, inspiration from these documentary or radio story shows, and I just had discovered I had found, you know, back in I guess 2014 or 2015 that no one was really doing them in that way for paranormal topics at that time. So I said, what better way to just get intimate with folks, bring the campfire really into the individual's earbuds in a real way, and produce, you know, really incredible, lush sound effects, atmospheres, uh, music to accompany that to try to, to try to aid this process of cinema of the mind. And so, you know, I did that. For, for, for a lot of years in a very specific way, which saw me, you know, sort of having to hike up Red Rock Mountains in order to interview someone, uh, which found me in, you know, lush, very wild British Columbia wilderness with a complete stranger trying to decode Sasquatch symbols that were very important. And, you know, some of these guests that I'm talking about were, were folks that I heard on your show. And I had the experience to to go out and and get in like get into their world, jump into their world directly, and so uh, it it was a visceral experience for me, in which I hope translated to one for the audience. And uh, and it you know you can't help but uh, go into that space and exit into Chapel Perilous and be completely confused with the nature of any of this stuff. You know, don't ask me what I believe anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm somewhat envious in that I, I've had friendships over the radio, people that I've known for 20, 25 years, but only as a discarnate voice over the radio. I've never actually, mm. well, I, I guess over the years I have eventually met most of them, but it was many, many years, uh, probably 15 years before I actually met Rosemary Ellen Guiley face to face. Wow. Uh, probably 10 years before I finally met our Gary Patterson. Uh, and Jim Mars, and I, I knew all of these people just through the ether. Yeah. So that's a you're in you're positioned in. A, it's a great place to be where you're actually sharing the same air with these people. It, it's yeah. It just it can it only adds to the credibility and the intimacy. Uh, so I back to my original question. So the new show on KKNW that's eleven fifty in Seattle. Yep, that's AM. right. Is that kind of a live version of you for Met? You know, honestly, it is a complete, it is a unapologetic ripoff of 1996 Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. I mean, hey, I even imitate, imitate yeah. the best, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I even have Ross Mitchell like doing the, 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 the opening visuals and stuff in my bumpers. That's you great. Know, so is he expensive? I, <laughs> <laughs> for Ross' sake, I'll say absolutely. He's unaffordable, <laughs> you know. Um, class of his own, uh, you know, for those that know, know what I'm talking about right now. But listen, I, I've been so inspired by how that show made me feel as a kid, as a teenager on sleepless nights or on long drives, you know, it, you know, some people have their favorite albums and I do as well. And those albums you can continually go back to and make you feel that same way you did when you were that age. <clears throat> and listen, that's art show 
you know, at that time. Um, and, and to this day, honestly, uh, obsessive is probably, I, maybe that is the right word. Um, I have my phone full of every archived episode that one could imagine, and it's, it's on repeat. And, and I listen to it, and it's a part of my language of the paranormal is through the lens of arts at that time. Now, it's different now, right? I think once you get out into the world and you engage with it in the way I have, have I, I've, I've stepped away from s- sort of the same lens that maybe art had, which is uh, broadcaster uh, looking to create the best program at night, right? Where, unfortunately, things with me have gotten even more potentially more personal i th- i think if i if if i'm so bold to to suggest that but uh, you know listen if you're listening to night drift you know it's an hour long right now it it may be two at some point in time uh i was inspired by also those sunday night dreamland episodes right uh so on occasion i'll have a reporter on and i have a, a few reporters that'll come on with with distinct reports of things happening within the pacific northwest and abroad you know following you know late breaking news of of sightings of of reports that are out there we occasionally have callers that'll call in and you know it's usually me and a guest and and uh we're, we're chopping it up for an hour and, and figuring something out. Um, I like to think a bit, a little bit more as a town square for ideas and voices and within the paranormal that are maybe up and coming. Maybe those folks that haven't quite got to be a guest on Coast to Coast AM yet. Uh, I'm trying to find these people. And sometimes they're people that I've gone into features with and have built a personal relationship with. You know, these are people that, hey, I went out and spent a week with you in 2018. And here we are now in 2022. What's going on? What's mm-hmm. new? Right. So it, it's been great. It's been immersive. I've, I've recorded the show in several remote locations as well, uh, not just the KKNW studios there in Seattle, from my home in Los Angeles. Uh, I believe this summer I'll be doing a broadcast from the Bay Area for the International Remote Viewers Association, their conference happening, IRVA. And so I'll hopefully be having some of the luminaries of the remote viewing community on the program live. And so uh, for me, it feels a little overwhelming. Uh, That's a lot of responsibility to carry, especially as a person that is, you know, up into this point, hey, I can fix anything in post, right? I'm collecting the tape. I'm going back home and we're spending hours and hours and hours with my editor. It's a totally different beast. It's a totally different beast, live radio. I, Mm -hmm. um, when I do my, I have a, like I have a daily live show yeah. that has nothing to do with this arena. It's news and politics and opinion. And um, for that show, I don't, I, I mean, I really don't like to pre-record. Sometimes it's inevitable, a guest, mm-hmm. depending on their availability. But I really, when you get that live rhythm happening and then having to switch gears and, and pre-record something, the energy is just totally different. I really, yes. I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it. To me, yeah, this, the energy. Though, what we're doing right now feels live to me. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I think that once you have, I think once you've experienced that energy, you get closer to being able to recreate it on some occasions during, you know, pre-recorded broadcasting and things of that nature. You can find yourself in that place. Like this feels live to me as well, um, but it's not always there. And, and, and it's not always the same. And it's not as easily accessible as 
being right there in the pocket, you know, and, and you have to throw to a break in, in a few minutes. And you're also trying to get to the conclusion of this narrative and, or find, uh, that, that place where you can break and, and leave them hanging a little bit with some, with some interesting, insightful things. And so I agree. And listen, I think, you know, experiencing that energy has made me fairly addicted to that process in a way that if you're on the, if you're on the air is the only way that you can understand what that feels like, I think. Precisely. Jim Perry, the host of Euphemet, euphemet.com, the website. I better spell that for folks, although it's in the episode notes. <laughs> E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T, euphemet.com. I know we've talked about this before, but there are stragglers just yeah. learning about Jim Perry and the podcast. Euphemet, that's, that's a made-up name, right? Yeah, sure is. Yeah, it's a little bit of a sort of a euphemism made up name. It, it's supposed to in, infer a, a euphemistic, a euphemist, a euphemistic Baphomet, right? So a playful devil, uh, the trickster side of this, right. you know, is really what that is supposed to symbolize. But, you know, listen, when I was making the show, it was like every other name has been taken, you know, every iteration of weird, you know, mm. or paranormal. Has seen me. So, you know, if no one's telling me what to do, I'll just make up a name. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. You're allowed. Winston Churchill made up words. <laughs> there we go. And, and of course, uh, the great Yogi Berra. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about, well, I know you've, you've, you've wrapped a season. You did 10 episodes and you, the new season starts like in August. So yeah. let's look back a little bit and then we can look forward to what's coming up. But um, memorable of the 10 episodes that you produced of Euphemet. Um, anything, uh, you, you want to, you want to kick it off with, I don't know. Do you want to talk about Tanya and her premonition? Yeah, I, that was a really interesting, that was a really interesting episode. Uh, you know, I had this listener reach out, uh, with a story when I, I put out a prompt for those that have potentially experienced premonitions. And, uh, she got back to me and said, listen, I have this story. And I haven't shared it with many people because it's pretty personal and raw, but I'll share it with you because I love the show and I think it's a safe space for me to do so. So she tells a story and the episode features her story in her own voice, of course, like all of you from that episodes. She tells this personal story about being a college, being at college in Washington, D.C. She's going for her nightly run and before entering into this park, this same route that she would take every single day. She got a, a just a really incredibly strange feeling that she had never experienced before. What this feeling told her was, do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. And she, she felt like it was like a million different eyeballs staring at her. She felt like completely uncomfortable in her skin. And she really had no other physical possibility than to listen to, to that noise, even if it felt like she was kind of going crazy or she, you know, had self, you know, some self-conscious thoughts about it. So she did. She followed suit. She went home. Later, her roommate is watching TV and she overhears a news broadcast. And sure enough, in that wooded section of the trail that she ran every day, that every inch of her being told her not to go through, they found the body of a dead girl. And they had suspected that the killer had perpetrated this act in the same exact time frame 
that she would have been running through that spot. She, in fact, could have been the victim of this attack. Wow. And she'll, wow. she'll never forget it. Uh, uh, you know, it, w- one of the most personal things about this for her was that, you know, this, this person was a lot like her that unfortunately met their end. They, they were a college student. They were studying some of the same things. In fact, you know, she, she had speculated that they probably would have ended up in the same town working essentially kind of the same sort of job. And it, it, it fell so close to home. And, and of course, not being able to tell a tremendous amount of people of that, it's a weird story, right? There was also amount of survivor's guilt that she had after that based upon a premonition. So that was, that was really moving to me. Yeah, one is left to wonder whether the, um, the dead girl, whether she had that same feeling oh my gosh. she ignored it. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, you do wonder that. And it also brings to mind, you know, listen, um, are there people out there looking out for us? Are there energies? Are there angels? Are these things guardian angels? You know, um, are, are these things out there? Do they exist and are they interfering within our lives to tell us, to give us information that maybe depending on what frequency we are or even depending on our belief structures, we're either listening or not? And, and what does that mean? But I think it's, it's fascinating and I think you brought up a good point, Richard, when you start to think about how many people didn't listen to that feeling and then it ended up that way. That's a really wild way to think of it. Right, right. You would think being in radio, I would have some kind of a, I would be tuned in to something like that, and I'm not. Well, radio <laughs> radio has nothing to do with it. I guess being in this arena, people just assume, well, you must be a sensitive or because you talk about these things, and I'm not. Yeah. Thankfully, I have someone in my life who, who really is, you know, they talk about a woman's intuition, but the, the mighty Aphrodite, she has that and more. Like, so she's my radar. Yeah. And and I have come to rely <clears throat> rely on that. She she has a, a, a real sense about people. Mm. Um it's like, well, watch out for that one, or I don't think you should be going there. Or <laughs> and um she's usually right. She's usually right. So if you don't have that, it's important that you have someone in your life who does. My gosh, I know. And allow those people space to to lean into that when they do. Because I think that happens often too. Some of these people will reveal themselves in our lives and we won't take heed or we won't recognize that they do have some sense of ability or power. And I think that can turn people off and and they shut it down and they don't feel okay to share that kind of stuff. You know, my wife is tremendous. Um, She'll have dreams. She'll have premonitions that have come true many times during our relationship and sometimes in very weird ways that is very ominous and can kind of wreck plans sometimes. You know, there was this one time she took a nap on the couch and I was preparing for my, you know, my, uh, my internet radio show at that time. Euphemet was just broadcasting online and it was before it became a documentary show. This was back in maybe 2014 or so. She was taking a nap on the couch and she woke up and she lunged forward she was like, oh my God, that, that dream was so scary. I, I, like somebody, I got hit in the head. It was like somebody like hit me. I fell or like somebody hit me in the head with a hammer. It was just, yeah, it was so messed up. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's, that's terrible. Like it looked impactful because you leapt off of the couch. So fast forward later that night and 
I'm about to go on air and I've realized I don't have coffee, I don't have water, I don't have anything. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to go get some water. So I take the Brita filler. I, there's no water. So I start putting water in the Brita. I put it on the, I put it on the shelf. I get called back to the computer. And as you know, Richard, like there's a million things that can go on before air and you're putting out fires sometimes or you're re-looking at notes. You're getting into the right headspace. Well, as I'm doing that, uh, the Brita is overfilling on the mm. counter and the the floor of the kitchen is just completely drenched. Yikes. I'm about to go on air. I think, okay, I have enough time. I'll go, I'll go get the water uh, or my water to drink. I slip on the floor hit my head and knock myself out. Oh my Lord. I wake up to, you know, like the dog licking my face and water falling on my face from the Brita pitcher that is still overfilling, mind you. And the first thing I thought about was, okay, well, I'm obviously going to be late to do my show or I can't do it. And, oh my gosh, this is just like the my dream. wife's dream. Oh my. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So it's stuff like that, Richard. I think that like once you start experiencing that enough, you know, it is hard to tell someone definitively what you believe. It gets also a lot harder to tell people that you're a skeptic or looking at things through a purely journalistic lens. That gets a little tough. <laughs> I can see why. All right. We're going to uh, roll into a... Uh... A quick time out here, come back. Jim Perry, host of Euphemet, euphemet.com. The podcast is fantastic, documentary style. A new season coming uh, Thursday, August the 4th. And uh, you check him out. KKNW, 1150 in the Seattle area. Night Drift. All right, back with more in a moment. Call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60 for my good friends at C60evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby, I have no aches or pains, zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle, C60 from c60evo.com slash richard hyphen c60evo.com slash richard hyphen Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. Jim Perry is with us, the host of Euphemet, the podcast. We're talking about some of the 10 episodes from last season, looking ahead to the new season. Returning Thursday, August the 4th, Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T, Euphomet.com, the website. Caitlin, tell me about Caitlin and her spiritual attachment. Well, you know, Caitlin, like many of the folks that reached out for this season at Euphomet, was a listener. And that was what was so startling, Richard, is that a tremendous amount of the people that I was talking to this season and last were all listeners that said, listen, I haven't told this story to many people at all. 
it's highly personal. Maybe I can tell it on Euphemet for the first time. And so this was one of those cases where this was a tremendously wild and personal story with Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin left home for college. She moved to Hawaii, away from, you know, her family in Nevada. And for the very first time, she was away from her home, her indigenous culture. She really was experimenting with kind of becoming a new person. Well, what happened with Caitlin when she was away for college is that she began to start experiencing these dreams that weren't quite right. These dreams where a man in a hat, uh, essentially a shadow, uh, started to appear to her. And upon these visitations, as they continued to occur, became more and more aggressive. And it led to, finally, these things becoming physical altercations in Caitlin's room and leaving her to wonder if she was just, if she was losing it or if she needed more sleep or if she was sick or if this was all just in her head. So she even started setting up things within her room before she'd go to bed. Okay, if this bottle of lotion is knocked over or if this thing is astray, I'll know something happened and something physical was in this room. Sure enough, these tests started to work for her. As these things would occur, what seemingly were in the nighttime nightmare space, and she'd wake up and the bottle of lotion would be thrown across the room just as she had remembered it in that dreamlike state earlier. So it got to the point where she couldn't sleep anymore. She was failing out of school. She eventually had to move back home. And she reached out for help from her family. And it just so happens her, her grandfather uh, was a figurehead within the community and practiced ancient indigenous medicines. He was essentially kind of a medicine man or a shaman for their tribe. They got together, he did a ritual, and eventually he was able to pull an entity out of Caitlin. And how she describes it in the episode is so terrifying and emotional that I don't think it'll ever leave me. This mental image of her grandfather carefully extracting from her eyes, seeing this in physical space, a black shadowy creature that was like some sort of alien baby kind of looking thing, holding it in his arms and then taking it outside throw it out and you know listen it's it's one of those things that has affected Caitlin of course has allowed her to embrace the indigenous side of her, her culture embrace the possibility that uh, spirits entities all of these things that she thought was maybe just lore right within her culture are, are, are real and affect people and she became a part of it. Like she has become now a, a a ghost explorer in that region and even takes people out into haunted locations to help them get a taste of how real this stuff really can be. While also, you know, kind of adding a level of <laughs> safe respect and mm. distance to those things as well. Um what do we know what um indigenous um nation she was with 
Yeah, I, I do mention it in the episode. I didn't want to get it wrong while I was while I was mentioning it to you in this story, and it's not off the top of my head. But, That's okay. Um, I, I it's detailed in the story, and uh, it it definitely comes from a line of individuals in that area that have experienced a tremendous amount of paranormal activity, uh, both geographically and and spiritually. And and I think you know what's what's weird about the place that she is in is it's it's a literal still existing sundown town, right? So every night this place. Uh, it, a siren blares and it's a holdover from past administrations and past generations where they would blare that horn and all the indigenous folks would need to leave town and get back on the res. Really? And this town... That still in, exists? This still exists. It, it's not an act. Like, it's not uh, legally binding. It's not... It's almost... They keep it as a tribute in some sort of way or keep it as a reminder of what the bad old days were like. But sure enough, you know, nightfall and this town, it's blaring the siren. And so talk about a paranormal reality. That feels pretty liminal to me. Right, right. Um, it, because it almost sounds, I mean, many uh, indigenous peoples have, you know, folklore or myths or legends or you know the the the, the manitou or the yeah um i mean i'm just wondering if they, they must have a specific name for this entity and was is it like a, a an incubus or a succubus or uh, yeah what was really interesting about talking with her is that when it comes to things like black magic and witchcraft a lot of the indigenous tribes she she passed on don't have words that make sense to sort of Western culture. Mm. And so you'll hear a lot of them um, label themselves as a witch or a white witch, for example, whereas traditionally there'd probably be something more indigenous that they would call, but but they've uh, abandoned these phrases. And so one of the, which was very fascinating to me. Um, so, so really they quantified what she had experienced as a spiritual attachment. And what's so interesting about that to me is that when you go around the globe and look at stories from indigenous cultures, you'll find some version of this, usually called something different. You know, and, and these are attachments that can either be generated through deep black magic, potentially. They could be manifested internally from those. They can be put onto others. And what, what we're talking about is, you know, uh, we're talking about jinn, you know, as mm. well. You know, right. they, the different cultures around the world have different versions of, of what this is, and it's fairly consistent. Now, what was very fascinating about this as well is that initially these appeared to her in something that is, like, very popular in culture right now, the hat man. Yes, you know? shadow people. Shadow people. You look at these uh, originally fictional creepy pasta stories that are espoused on the internet, uh, adopted by popular culture, that has started to really uh, consume uh, real, authentic, paranormal experiences that people are having. You know, whether that is hat man shadow people slender man these things that came from a space potentially of online message boards uh, people trading campfire stories copying pasting sections into our reality now 
and they're engaging with the people in a way that is dramatic and makes people question whether what they're experiencing is authentic or something out of a movie, something they're internally creating, right? Influenced from popular culture. But you know what? It's always done that. This stuff has always done things in that way. They've allowed us to get a glimpse at something seemingly that feels way too Atlantish and way too on the nose to be appropriate. Like, I couldn't have seen that ghost. It looked like a something on a Scooby-Doo. Of course it does. You know, like, it's presenting itself potentially in a way that we can understand and comprehend and or it wants to trick us. <laughs> mm. You know, I don't know if I believe in anything that I just said. I just went on a rant. But listen, those are ideas that are out there right now. Right, right. Suzanne had an alien experience. You talked to Suzanne this past season. Yeah. You know, Suzanne... Suzanne was really an interesting conversation because I spent a good part of the first first half of the quarantine uh, intimately conversing with and, and kind of embedding myself digitally with a, a, an alien experiencer support group. And... This is a group of individuals that, you know, in, in, in pre-quarantine times were uh, meeting, you know, every week. Some, sometimes it was every, just every month. And they were getting together and convening and sharing their experiences together and being there together for these things that were occurring to them, whether it be the classic abduction scenario or something even more intense like um, stalking of, of themselves or their children and uh, sharing these experiences with one another to not feel as alone. And Suzanne was a member of this particular group of this particular support group. And since she was a child has experienced what she qualifies as alien abductions or potentially non-human intelligence abducting her, interfering with her in her life. Now what seems to be consistent with not just Suzanne's story, but others that I've covered, is that it seems more often than not genealogical in the way that, in particular, mothers who have children have that moment in time where they realize that their children are also having these experiences, sometimes for the first time. And sometimes these things are called to action by, you know, pictures they draw uh, by pointing out certain things and saying those are just like the bald men I see at night, things of that nature, and have to go through a reckoning process that whatever is happening to them is not just happening to them. It makes them dig deep into their family history in a way they maybe have never done before, uh, to some degree interrogating their their parents interrogating their grandparents have you experienced anything like me am i the first one what what am i supposed to do about this why didn't you tell me so whatever is happening richard it is it turns very quickly into a family drama and it's one of the things that these support groups are so good at is being sort of an open space where people can share these things without judgment right and also act as a kind of a support system for their the family dynamic that is emerging that they can't control that seems unwieldy 
as much as any sort of alien interference. And so Suzanne tells this great story of, you know, that kind of occurring to her, detailing her experience of finding out that maybe her child has experienced this as well, about, you know, being with a partner at that time that didn't quite understand what was going on with her, and then eventually that, you know, became the end of their relationship. And then finally, finding her in a self, uh, finding herself in a position of having a partner that was an experiencer as well. You know, having met at one of these groups and connecting over that in a real way. So who's, who's ever to say, you know, what is going on here? The negative impacts, the complications, the family dynamics. These things can also be, strangely enough, community builders hmm. and build relationships based off authentic lived experiences from people that translate into a, a whole different kind of family, I think. Was her abduction story kind of the classic, you know, uh, in bed, I don't know, paralyzed, yeah. Yeah. finds herself on some sort of a craft? That's right. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of these individuals that have those experiences sometimes will encounter various types of beings, uh, not just the traditional gray aliens, but they report um, taller human-like entities sometimes, uh, glowing, almost angelic beings on occasion, um, uh, reptiles of sorts, all seemingly with different levels and hierarchy mm -hmm. and very different reasons why they're engaging. And so Suzanne was one such case that her visitations often involved various entities all having like certain roles. Uh, she reports of having an almost angel angelic encounter with this, this woman who weirdly enough, how she describes it. I had to, you know, point this out to her that she seemingly was describing herself as when she was describing this angelic being, uh, this nude woman, glowing, flowing blonde hair, giving her advice about her relationship. And that, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe she really needs to find someone that is, that is going to be more respectful of her experiences. And so along with the, the, the kind of classic, you know, uh, ridiculously scary versions of these accounts that I think keeps a lot of us up at night if we mm. listen to or read too much of this material. Uh, there's also these very enlightening experiences. So you can't say these people are all experiencing darkness, but you can't say they're all experiencing love and light. It does seem like a sort of an open channel to experience a varied degree of personalities that are interfacing with them, sometimes all at the same time, which adds a layer of complexity to this mess that, <laughs> listen, covering even as something that, you know, in the line of work that we do, right, it's tricky sometimes to, to navigate these waters. And then you talk to somebody like Ralph Blumenthal, right, and you're like, do you think there will ever be a chance that something like the New York Times is going to be able to cover something like the abduction phenomenon? Mm. Or do you feel, Ralph, and I asked him this on Night Drift, Ralph Blumenthal, of course, like the, 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 the co-author of the Breakthrough New York Times right. article. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
uh, and you know, he just kind of, I was like, do you think there's a chance that the Pentagon will ever address these type of stories or they're getting close to it? And he just laughed <laughs> because it is, it is so, it is so strange and it, it, it makes us, it forces us to reconsider a lot of different things about the nature of reality, about our relationship to that and about potentially how we're connected to the unknown in general, let alone any sort of alien intervention. Uh, aside from sort of trying to, to look at these cases through an objective lens, how, I mean, how are you connected to the unknown? Have you, have you had what you would call a, a paranormal experience? Yeah, you know, man, you provided me such a great platform for sharing some of that on coast with an experience I had at East Eddy Ranch, which really changed the trajectory of my personal life, of my professional life. And that was experiencing a, a sort of a meditative moment at the, at the bottom, at, at the foot of a mountain, essentially, that was known for highly, as a highly active UFO environment. And I had this meditative experience where I found myself with lights on the mountain, breathing in and out of them as if I was breathing into an ember. It was a conversation that seemed to last for a half an hour with me and this light on this volcanic mountain. And it changed my perspective on everything. I quit my job soon after and devoted myself to trying to find better ways to help experiencers tell their stories because I felt at that time just as confused as any of them. But, you know, listen, it doesn't stop there. Like, <laughs> I will admit that I have seen, I can only qualify it as a traditional ghost uh, in 3D reality. And it was during a shoot in West Virginia. I was with an experiencer who was telling me this story about a tremendous, I don't know, uh, childhood mentor that was a, a spirit or an entity that only he could see. You would think this is a traditional imaginary friend story, but it really morphed into this, this entity was telling him information that he should have no right knowing as a child. Uh, things about science, things about math that were corroborated with his family members. So we were having this experience. We were in West Virginia in this small little town. We were right next to where the Flatwoods monster was reported to be seen. And just off in the corner of my eye, in this darkened stairwell emerged a ghost, the bust of a ghost, uh, directly related to what, this individual, this experiencer, was reporting. He was feeling throughout the building itself. Matched the description. Matched the movement. It was everything this experiencer was saying that he was seeing. Now I was seeing with my own two eyes. And I was there with another... I was there with an investigator, uh, with Greg Newkirk, who, you know, a lot of people will know him from Hellier and, and, and different work and has experienced all sorts of strange himself. Not a guy that anyone should be worried about telling a strange experience out, you know. Uh, well, I didn't. You know, we had a long drive back that same night, you know, driving through the, the, the haulers in, in the darkness. Uh, I had plenty, ample opportunity 
to say, listen, man, I just got to tell you what I saw back there. I didn't. I waited weeks, Richard, because I felt so embarrassed. Because I didn't. I felt embarrassed. Yeah, because I didn't want to be. I felt it completely ruined my objectivity. As 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 because it uh, happened to you. Yeah, yeah, because it happened to me in such a visceral visceral way, and so that's kind of the story of this process is me trying to find myself somewhere in the middle um, because these these events continue to occur. I continue to be either directly a participant or a witness to strange things occurring that that you know one would be enough for someone's lifetime and I keep experiencing them and somehow I still have to continue to be a uh, level-headed uh, approachable uh, <laughs> you know sort of a narrator for my audience who maybe they are going in a little bit more skeptical or I mean I guess at a certain point in time you just kind of throw your hands up and say like well it is what it is I'm not quite there yet I still want to try to maintain uh a, a, you know some some objectivity in there what's what's coming up in the next season which begins thursday august the 4th euphemet euphemet.com well you know it's more listener stories it's more people that have reached out and said listen i've got this story that i haven't really told anybody before and i think this would be a perfect place to do it so i've been in communication with several features you know also, one of the changes in Euphemet uh, for the features is, is I'm traveling less for it. I've found that some of the interviews that I do through methods just like this online have, have given me the most personal, intimate interviews that I've ever had in, in, in ever. And that was surprising to me. I thought it would be converse to that. Uh, I thought sitting there with someone sharing space w would be a lot better and intimate. And, and I've been proven wrong. In fact, we go deeper and darker and more personal than ever before. Um, so, I, you know, we're doing this method where I do those interviews first online. And then after that, I, I travel out to these places and record action tape and, and spend time with them there and, and, and follow up. So uh, more listener stories some really some really challenging personal experiences are explored in this and the idea of the phenomenon is toyed with is explored in that um its relationship to our own struggles and challenges how these things can be sort of amplified or exemplified through the phenomenon mm. All right. Look for it. Beginning Thursday, August the 4th, or listen for it, I should say. Stick it in your ear. <laughs> Beginning Thursday, August the 4th, Euphemet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T, Euphemet, and the website euphemet.com. And also listen for Jim on Night Drift on uh, KKNW, 11.50 a.m. in Seattle, Sunday nights or Sunday afternoons at five. Incidentally, my radio program Tuesdays on KKNW, uh, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. I so, love it. Uh, there we are. Jim, always a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it, as always. A new Richard Serrett's A Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.